Thank you to our choir and to our brass and everyone for playing today. Again, it is good to be here with you on this Easter Sunday morning. Thank you, Jason. And this week, we started out, of course, last Sunday with Palm Sunday as we discussed and talked about the realities of Christ riding to Jerusalem and what that meant And then for those of us who were able to be here on Thursday, we talked about the Last Supper and we gathered around the table and we ate and we drank. And then for those who could make it to the Good Friday service, we remembered what that looked like, the darkness of that day. And yesterday, as Pastor Scott said, we had Holy Saturday or quiet or silent Saturday as we waited in the midst of darkness. And today, we of course are here on Easter Sunday. And so this morning, I want us to look at the 20th chapter of John, but I'm going to focus mostly on the second half of that chapter. So let me remind you what happened in the first half. It begins like this. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. And on that day, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And when she saw the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away, she quickly went back to tell the other disciples what she had discovered, that surely the body must have been taken and she didn't know where it was any longer. Then all of a sudden, those two disciples, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, we are told, ran to the tomb. Peter runs in first And sees it's just as she had said. The other disciple goes in and sees it likewise. But they did not know what to do, so they simply returned home. But Mary did not. Mary remained by the tomb. And that takes us to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would be with us on this Easter Sunday. Though we have perhaps heard this story again and again, we pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what it is that you would have us to see and hear and feel this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, I think it's important on Easter Sunday for us to remember 
exactly how Easter begins. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. I think it's easy for us, of course, when it comes to Easter to want to quickly go right to the celebration. There's a reason why Good Friday services are rarely as well attended as an Easter Sunday service. We love to be able to come and to celebrate, and that is good and right, but we cannot do so, at least not nearly as deeply or genuinely, if we forget that Easter began in the midst of grief and darkness and pain. We cannot start with the rising sun or the risen sun. We begin, of course, while it was still dark. And on this day, while it was still dark, Mary is still by the tomb. She could not go off as the other disciples had done and just simply go home. She was stuck. Del Bruner says that probably a better translation of this is simply Mary staying right there. In other words, she did not have the power to move forward. Anybody who has dealt with any kind of grief in their lives knows what it is like to feel lost and as if you simply cannot move. You have no strength to go anywhere. And when our eyes are filled with tears, it is incredibly difficult to be able to move forward or to move anywhere at all. And so there is Mary stuck in her grief by the tomb. And finally, she peers down and she looks into the tomb. And there she sees two angels. And they ask her the question, why are you weeping? Now, there's different ways for us to understand exactly what that means. Were they, in some ways, perhaps indicting her? Why are you weeping? Don't you know that Jesus is raised from the dead? Or... Were they simply saying, why are you weeping in an attempt to get closer, in an attempt to empathize, in an attempt to try to understand more of the pain that she was enduring? Why are you weeping? On December 5th of this past year, I found myself in the ICU room of my 50-year-old cousin, Mike, in Noblesville. Mike was there because for the last few days he had been suffering from COVID. And so uh, his wife also had COVID and was not able to go into the room. And so she asked me if I would be willing to go. And so I said, sure, of course, I'll go in there. And, and so I went, I brought with me some things that she wanted me to take, uh, some balloons, a card from her, from her and her two kids, um, a pillow, and then stuffed deeply into the pillow sack was a, uh, was a stuffed animal that I think she was trying to hide from me being able to see that Mike wanted it, afraid that I would make fun of him in some way, which, of course, I did as soon as I saw him. <laughs> when I went in there, Mike didn't at first really recognize me because I had on this yellow smock and I had on a mask and then another kind of uh, shield over. It was very difficult to tell who I was, but when I walked in, he saw me, and then all of a sudden his eyes lit up, and he said, hey, cuz, and he recognized me, and it was great. I mean, I know he wished it had been his wife instead of me, but it was me, and it was good, I think, just to be able to see someone you recognize, and so we started to, we started to talk, and we, we began to talk about just life and our children and, and vacations and, and, and his business and all of these different things, and we talked about breathing. 
We talked about breathing, of course, because that's the very reason why he was there. He was struggling with being able to breathe. He'd had COVID for a little while, and he walked up the stairs, and he was struggling with that, with catching breath, and so he was, he was there. Now, fortunately, I caught him at a great time. He, he wasn't on a vent, and we were able to really talk. We talked for probably about 45 minutes or so. At the end of that time, I said a prayer with him, and then I walked out of the room. And it was the very last conversation that I would ever have with Mike. Because over the next three weeks or so, he would go on this incredibly difficult health journey, this roller coaster going up and down. And early on Christmas morning, while it was still dark, my cousin breathed his last breath. And I called my mom, who was at our house, and my mom and my sister and I gathered together and wept. Why are you weeping? I wrestled over the last three and a half months with my cousin's death. And two weeks after he died, I had the privilege as difficult as it was to stand up in front of a congregation who had gathered there of his friends and family and talk about what exactly do we do in the midst of grief. And on that day, I brought up a garden, not the same garden that Mary was in. I brought up the Garden of Gethsemane, the one that's talked about oftentimes on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus is praying and he's desperate. In fact, he's grieving. Sometimes we wrestle with thinking about Jesus grieving, but he's grieving, he says to the disciples, even unto death. And I said to those who were gathered on that day, Jesus grieving there is a remarkable gift because it is an invitation for all of us who wrestle with our own grief and pain to come and to join him in our grief. Why are you weeping? I bring up that story this morning not because it's the exception. I bring it up this morning because truth be told, it is absolutely not the exception. These last couple of years have been remarkably difficult. They have changed and shaped many of us, if not most or all of us, in dramatic ways. Even just within this congregation, oftentimes not even having anything to do with COVID, we have seen so many increases in, in the amount of funerals and burials that we did just even eight days ago. But of course, the ways in which COVID has brought death, the ways in which it has entombed us is not just physically. It has done so in so many other ways. Marriages, the amount of divorces that have begun to occur over these last two years has grown dramatically in this season. Children who have been isolated from one another who have been cultivated in a sense of fear oftentimes are having to go and get more counseling or having to are wrestling with their own anxieties and pains and fears in a way that we've not seen before. Churches and communities have been in great conflict as they have wrestled with each other and with leadership for the ways in which they've handled things like COVID, like politics and other racial issues. People, almost all of us, have taken time during this research, says, to look at their own lives, to look at their careers, and what they are finding is that they are in want. What they are finding is that there is a great amount of death and destruction and darkness in what it is that they're doing, and they are wondering, what should I do next? Why are are you weeping? 
And what I want to make sure of is that on this Easter Sunday morning that you know if you are weeping because of darkness or despair, you are welcome here. Because on this Easter Sunday, we begin next to Mary, Mary Magdalene, whose own grief is also an invitation to us to stand here at the doorway of the tomb. And to bring our broken dreams, those dreams that have died, to bring our relationships that may feel lifeless, to bring our deathly struggles with addiction and other inner conflicts, to bring the memories of those who are no longer here, to bring our fears and anxieties that so often leave us breathless. And we stand at the entrance of the tomb. And in the midst of all of that, darkness and destruction for those who have ears to hear. There is something that catches our attention behind us. Mary, it was, she was sure, a gardener, perhaps because of the continued darkness of the night or maybe because of the darkness that was inside of her. She hears something behind her. She thinks it is the gardener. So she turns and looks to the gardener. And the gardener asks the exact same question that the angels had. Why are you weeping? But then this interesting gardener asks a follow-up question. Perhaps a resurrection question. Because the gardener says to her, for whom are you looking. You see, here is what perhaps you have experienced in the midst of darkness and despair, which is that when we begin to see, when we begin to experience those particular things, our imaginations and our vision and our eyesight can begin to become distorted so that disappointment and despair and darkness and death is all that we see. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that for Mary Magdalene, there is a gardener who is making her wonder whether or not she is looking for the right things. You see, I am convinced that what we look for has a dramatic impact on whether or not we see a grave or whether or not we see a garden. Many of you know the example I oftentimes give when it comes to the impact of, of what we are seeing and how it changes or shapes what we see or how we think. Uh, oh, a couple decades or so ago, my father told me that he was going to get me a Jetta, a Volkswagen Jetta. I was, I was so excited. I was surprised. I couldn't believe it, but I wasn't going to get it for two months. And so those next two months, as I drove around and walked around, do you know what I saw? Jettas. They were literally everywhere. Everywhere I looked, I saw a Jetta. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, I just saw them everywhere. In fact, so much so that I thought for a while maybe I was losing it. I thought that maybe I was seeing a Camry and it was actually looking like a Jetta to me or maybe a, an Accord. I mean, everything looked like a Jetta. Then I began to wonder whether or not perhaps Volkswagen was giving away free Jettas and that's why my dad was being so generous. And so I really had to say, you know, even like, hey, does anybody else see all these Jettas around? What's happening here? Now, the truth is this, of course, I was not making this up. I wasn't just imagining it, thankfully. They were actually there. But before, I hadn't cared, and so I wasn't looking for any of these things. And it was all subconscious. I didn't go out and say, I want to try to see how many Jettas. No, all of a sudden, they just began to appear. They were everywhere. However, I was completely unmindful of them. I had no idea. But the way that I was looking began to change how I began to see things. You see, what I am convinced of is that when we have grave-like eyes, 
When we look around, all we begin to see is darkness and despair and depression and disappointment. We begin to become convinced that every cough or weird feeling in our bodies is surely a marker of our coming demise. We begin to see every imperfection on our spouse or our children. And we begin to wonder whether or not they have always been so unpleasant to be around. We begin to add every single disappointment that we have and it just begins to build up much like a wall so that we begin to see less and less of the light that is out there and more and more of the darkness of the tomb that we are building all around us. And if you've ever been in a graveyard like that, what you know is that there are already plenty of people who are in that graveyard who are happy to help you. Friends or family, perhaps, media or social media, it matters not. There are plenty who are already there and who are beckoning you to come further into the graveyard, who would be more than happy to keep pointing out even more things, more darkness, more depression, more disappointments that you should begin to focus on. And in the midst of all of that, Mary Magdalene, we have an opportunity to ask, are we going to continue to go darker, deeper and deeper into that dark grave? Graveyard, or are we going to have the resurrection ears and the resurrection eyes to begin to ask, for whom are we looking? What are we listening to? You see, what's remarkable about this story that I love is that we all experience resurrection in different ways. For Mary, it was first, of course, she, she began to see a little bit differently whenever Jesus said, for whom are you looking, even though she couldn't see great yet. And then, all of a sudden, when, he heard, when she heard his, her name called by Jesus, all of a sudden, her ears, her resurrected ears, recognized him. And in a moment, of course, she's embracing him, and she begins to feel him. It's different for all of us. Sometimes it's when someone points out something to you to say, no, 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 this isn't dead. There's still life here. Sometimes that gives you a sense of resurrection, and then you begin to hear differently, and then you begin to experience Jesus. Sometimes it's an experience that you can't even describe, but you've just experienced experience something that feels like a resurrection and then all of a sudden you begin to look at things differently and you begin to hear differently. Jesus works, the resurrected Savior works in different ways for all of us, but all of them lead out of the grave and into the garden. I told a story a couple years ago on Easter about Marianne Bird, but it was, uh, it was only virtual. There was just me and the cameraman, Ted Coates, here. So I feel like I have a mulligan. I'm going to tell the story again. I know that most of you remember it and you heard it and you watched it from home, right? Don't lie on Easter. It's not bode well for you. Marianne Bird was born in the early 20th century. She was born with a cleft palate, and she was born where her feet were kind of wide, and so she wasn't able to walk well. As you can imagine, that made her the brunt of many jokes as she was growing up. And Mary Ann tried to do everything she could to try to fight back and to try to you know, defend herself, but the truth was that her spirit continued to be dark. Every way she looked was dark and, and, with, and with despair. It was a difficult life for Mary Ann. But then one year she got a, a teacher, Miss Leonard, and everybody loved Miss Leonard. And at that point in time, they would always do a hearing test, which was always depressing to Mary Ann because Mary Ann had one ear that was virtually deaf. So it would always be yet one more reminder 
of how different she was. One more reminder of how dark her life seemed to be. And so typically the students, they would go up there, they would cover up one ear, and then the teacher would whisper something quietly, like, the sky is blue. Or, are those new shoes? And see whether or not they could hear. So on this day, Marianne went up and she covered up her bad ear so she could still hear out of the one ear. And Miss Leonard whispered into her ear this. She said, I wish you were my little Marianne, many years later, she wrote a memoir. She became an author, and she was convinced that it was God himself who had given Miss Leonard those words because she said from that moment on, everything began to change. How she began to see things began to change. All of a sudden, she went from a sense of darkness and despair. All of a sudden, she went from a tomb, all of a sudden, to be going towards a place of hope and joy where the garden is. Why? Because all of a sudden, someone whispered resurrection ears into her ears, and everything began to change. You see, this is what happens whenever it is that Jesus whispers, Mary, all of those grays began to be full of color. She moved and that thing which looked like a grave all of a sudden became a garden. Sometimes it's by what we see and sometimes it's by what we hear. Right before I went to Israel, we went to Israel as a group of us, we had a book recommended to us that was written by a Jesuit priest named James Martin, and he talks about this particular scene in his book. He went on a pilgrimage of Israel, which is why it was recommended. And when he talks about this particular scene, he remembers something that happened a few decades earlier when he was a hospital chaplain. He was doing an internship, as oftentimes we as pastors or priests are asked to do. And, and so he did that. And every week they would have to get together with somebody or with the group of them, and they would talk. And one of those uh, people was a woman by the name of Doris. And Doris was confined to a wheelchair. And so James Martin always kind of felt sorry for her and, and just felt like, oh, that must be really hard. And, and so one time they finally got together and they began to have a conversation. In the conversation, Doris said, you know, I got to be honest with you. She said, you know what, this wheelchair for much of my life, for, for as long as I've had it, has oftentimes felt like a cross. It has been the thing which has been kind of living, making me live in this darkness and this despair it has kept me in some ways from doing what I want to do. But then she said, you know what? Recently, all of a sudden, I've begun to see that actually I've been looking at this thing wrong. It wasn't actually a cross. In many ways, it's actually a resurrection because here's the truth, of course. If it weren't for this wheelchair, I would not be able to do almost everything that I'm able to do now. My life would be much darker, much more dull if it weren't for the fact that I have this wheelchair that allows me to go places, that allows me to do what I'm doing even now. Everything changed. And so James Martin says, this is the call of Christianity, especially on an Easter Sunday, which is that part of our call is to be able to see resurrection when everybody else sees the cross. A part of our call is to be able to see life when everybody else seems to only be able to see death. A part of our call as a people who are living into the resurrection is to be able to see a garden when everyone else is convinced that all we were looking at is a graveyard. 
hard. You see, what I am convinced of is the fact that the resurrection changes absolutely everything. It changes how we see. It changes how we hear. It changes how we live. It changes how we die. The path through the graveyard, make no mistake about it, is laid with the stones of cynicism and pessimism and the finality of death. But the path through the garden is built on hope and grace and joy, not because it doesn't experience grief. Oh, no, it does. But because of the fact that it knows that grief never has the final word. Life in a sealed tomb. Tell me if I'm wrong. Life in a sealed tomb. When you look around, all you see is all there is and all that will ever be. But life in the garden with the resurrected gardener tells you that there is never a hope, never a dream, never a relationship, never anything that the gardener cannot bring to life. Here is what I want you to hear this morning. Life in the tomb will tell you this, that when that stone was put over the tomb, your story is over. Your journey has finished. Your spirit is gone. But what I want you to know is this, that when you follow the resurrected gardener, when he looks at death, it matters not who it is. It might be Mike. It could be Ron. It could be Mary. It could be Sandy. It could be Dick or Gene or Peter or Dallas or anyone who was born and who loves Christ and who was raised up with Christ. He will look at that dead and he will say, get up and live again. That is the promise and the hope in which we live, sisters and brothers in Christ. Bring it all. Bring your grief. Bring your shattered dreams. Bring those lifeless relationships. Bring everything that is dark and dying in your life. Bring it to the tomb. Put it in that tomb. But know this. The gardener is always on the move. The gardener loves to bring new life and new hope, new breath, new eyes with which to see, new ears with which to hear. And he will not stop until he has reached your tomb and called you by name, from darkness to light, from death to life, from grave to garden. For whom are you looking? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, it is easy for us to see graves all around us and to believe that that is all that there is. But what we know, Lord, is because of the fact that you were raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, it means that all we see is not all there is. It means, Lord, that you have the power to give us eyes that see the resurrection, ears that hear the resurrection, hearts that experience the resurrection. And as we do so, everything begins to change. Oh, we still will have moments of grace or moments of grief and disappointment and pain. But we will always know that they never have the final word. Give us the faith to know that when the resurrected Savior is in our midst, there is no grave that he cannot turn into a garden. Amen.